Welcome to our series, Behind the Scenes, the podcast that takes you deeper into the stories from our partners in the National Church Worldwide. Ron has sat with incredible men and women of God and listened to their testimonies, and this podcast is a glimpse behind the scenes of his many adventures. So welcome back to the studio, Ron and Karis. Thank you. Okay, let's talk about the slums of Bombay. Which is also called Mumbai. Mumbai. That's the new name for it, but I'll always call it Bombay because uh, it's it's got history to it, that city. It's on the western side of uh, India, and you might say New Delhi is the capital up at the very top center of India. Well, this is the business area of Bombay or Mumbai, but it also is a place where there's a great big slum area, and it's called Duravi. And that's where I want to tell you the story from today because I went in there and it was desperately poor. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, let me just describe to you what I saw. They're, they're in this area, and I don't know how many square miles it is, and people live in there in the most squalid conditions in the huts. When we drove in, I still remember driving beside this canal sort of river. And in the river, there was a man up to his waist picking things out of the black muck. And it was called water, but it was muck. And he was picking things out of that. And I remember I asked the driver, and I said, so he was another pastor. And I said, so what's that guy doing down there? Because I said, it looks filthy. And he says, yeah, he's probably trying to find things to sell. And he says that's the way he makes his living as a scavenger in the river. Mm -hmm. But they would throw everything in there, the carcasses of animals, dead Mm -hmm. animals. They would throw everything in there of refuse. It was just putrid. And so here he was working in that area. We kept going along, and we drove by all these mounds, shall we say, of garbage. And the animals, and I still remember these, like, two or three little kids and they were scavenging in the garbage to try to find food. Mm. And I would say some of the, I would say they were like four and five years of age, something like that. And uh, they were just looking for food in there, anything to eat. Like digging through the Digging through bikes. the garbage, right. digging through the refuge, just looking for something. And uh, mm. then we kept on going, and I, I met the young pastor that we were supposed to meet with. He was 17 years old. He had, I think it was four churches in the area. These were house churches of literally house churches. Right in the slums? Right in the slums, different areas. And when you say house, more of a falling down house. Hmm. But it was an area that people would go into and and out of the congestion of the area to have church. So this was a house church. And so we went there, and he's describing to me the, the the next few minutes, he was describing the conditions in there. This is the 17-year-old? The 17-year-old, okay. before the congregation came. And as I looked out with him outside, he says, there are men that come by every day to take the dead people out of the huts. Mm. And he says, you'll see them because they've got long plastic gloves on and there's a cart that goes by. And he says, they'll take the bodies, throw them on there, take them to an area, and it's an area where they will burn the bodies. Mm. And he says, every morning you can see the smoke going up from mm. some sort of crematorium that they had there. I never did see it. But he says, that is where they would bury or burn the dead bodies. 
I thought, wow, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is death all over the place. The people, he says, actually understand death death better than Mm -hmm. many Westerners. Because what we do, we gloss over death. We have these wonderfully beautiful um, funeral homes. And you go in there and soft carpet, gentle yeah. music. And it's sort of like this masquerade around death. He says, in Dharavi slum, there's no hiding it. These people die. They're, they're going to be um, burned, uh, cremated, and everything right over there. Everybody knows that death is right at the doorstep. And it's a daily occurrence. Oh, daily. Daily. They just live with it, with starvation, with disease, right. with crime, with uh, rape, with murder, with everything. It's right there every you, single day. You probably day. don't know the answer to this, but who would be the guys that have that job of going through houses, right? I have right? no idea. Yeah. I have no idea, but there was a cart. I did see a cart. I think that's what brought his right. attention to it. Anyway, to the good part of the story. Okay. Now we go into the house church meeting. So I'm sitting there in this house, and people started to come in, probably two-thirds women, one-third men in proportion. And they come in and... They are sitting on the beds. They're sitting on the floor. There's a little set of stairs going upstairs. They're sitting on that. And I would suppose that in our way of thinking, this house might, at the maximum, be about worth about 10 people being able to sit down. They had over 35 in there. Hmm. And they were just sitting everywhere. And it all was hot. It was hot. It was smelly. It was just terrible. And you're squeezed right in there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm just sitting in there. In fact, somebody, I think, gave me a place to sit down, and I'm looking at this. And and the the fellow at the door, I still remember this one, fellow at the door was shaking hands with everyone. Like but a greeter? A greeter. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what the word I'm looking for. He was a greeter. But then I looked at him, and he had no fingers, mm. and in his shoes he had no toes, and he had no ears, and he had no nose. He was a leper. Okay. And he was the one greeting at the door. And the pastor leans over and tells me, he says, he's our trophy, or no, he's our trophy of grace. That's it. He says he's our trophy of grace. He was leprous. We prayed for him, and God completely healed him. The doctor said he doesn't have anything anymore. And he says, he's the one we let greet at the door. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's a different that's greeter. That's a statement of oh, faith. Oh, yes. in. What an encouragement. I know. <laughs> so anyway, it was this. So they had worship. And they were all singing. There was a fellow sitting up on the bed with um, a little sort of an organ, strumming organ. Everybody was singing top of their lungs. There was a lady sitting in front of me. I still remember on the floor. And tears were pouring down her cheeks as she was worshiping. She had her hands raised and everything like that. And um, again, I've heard this story many times before. Pastor told me she came here against the wishes of her husband, and she will probably t- get a beating when she gets home. Mm-hmm. But she's here worshiping today. So this went on for, I don't know, it seemed like an eternity with the heat, but it really, it was probably about half an hour. And then they had a time of prayer. And then the pastor, the 17-year-old pastor, he started to preach. And I still remember that another man was translating for me, and he was sort of whispering in my ear what was going on. This 17-year-old pastor, who'd only been a believer for, I think it was a year, year and a half, something like that. He gave the most dynamic sermon, like Billy Graham had nothing uh, on this guy, uh, or vice versa, or whatever the saying is. This guy was very, very good. And I thought to myself, my, uh, he's 17 years old, mm-hmm. and he preaches. You can tell he had compassion and everything like that. Service ended, 
and his preaching that is ended. And then people would stand and we would pray for them. And these people, we were praying for food, we were praying for healing, we were praying for witnessing, we were praying for family, we were praying for everything. And that went on for a long time, too. Finally, the service was completely over after about two and a half hours. Everybody made their way out. Pastor said to me, he says, come upstairs, I'll show you where I live. So I crawled up these little steps, mm. went upstairs, a smallest, lowest ceiling on the second floor you can ever imagine. He, he, he went into his little room. And this was a tiny little attic room. And I still remember turning left, walking in, and I hit my forehead <laughs> on this beam that was going across <laughs> on the door and almost knocked myself out. And here I get my senses together. I duck down. I walk in and I look. And up in the ceiling, in the sort of like you say rafters, um, he had two shirts that were rolled up and one pair of pants. Mm. And that's all that he owned. He then had a, a mat on the floor that he would sleep on, and this was by an open window that looked out over Dharavi Slum. And he says, this is my mission field. And he took me over to the window, and he pointed out all the people that he goes to every single day. He gets up early in the morning, and he prays. And then he goes out and he's witnessing all over. He meets with his people. He prays with them. They have church services. He teaches the Bible from early morning to late at night. And then I looked at the floor on this little mat, and there were two little worn spots mm. where his knees go. And he would get up and he would pray over the Duravi slum, over his congregation to be, shall we say. And then he took his finger and he pointed down at it and he says, and that's where I pray. Mm. And I thought, oh boy, this is the perfect example of why he is so successful. Here's a 17-year-old man who has a burden for the lost, the dying, the destitute, the impoverished, the, mm. uh, the worst situation I can imagine on earth. It's like a living hell. And here he is, pastor of this group. He's not discouraged. He only has a few worldly possessions. He knows the power of prayer. He knows what his job is, and he's a good, good pastor. And I kept telling people for years, this is a nice, this is a wonderful picture of the national church mm -hmm. around the world. This is what it's all about. And uh, I went from there that day. I, I thought to myself many, many times, I wonder where he is now, what he's doing. And I'm sure he's still praying, and I'm sure he's still evangelizing in Taravi Islam. And people are going to heaven there. Mm. Um, years later, um, I was in another slum, and I met another young man, not quite as young as him, but I met another young man doing similar things. And I asked that young man, I'm not going to tell you his whole story, but I asked that young man something that I should have asked the 17-year-old mm -hmm. in, in Dravi. I should have asked him, why are you doing this mm -hmm. here? And that 19-year-old guy, he said to me, he says, I've got, I've got nothing else to do but win the lost. He says, that's the burden that God has given me, and there's nothing more important in life. This is what I shall do. And I think that's, in many places in the world, what God is putting on the hearts of some of these young people today. Um, there's nothing better in life than winning people to the Lord. Nothing better. I have known many 17-year-olds, and I've never encountered someone like that. I have so many questions I would love to ask him myself. And well, 
Honestly. Yeah. One day in heaven, I'll introduce you to it. It's <laughs> quite the story. It's it's yeah. an emotional story because just imagining those grooves on the floor is is something else. And the idea of that really the joy of the Lord can transcend everything yeah. else, picturing he, those people worshiping. He had a burden. Yeah. He could see them. He could see them living in hell and going to hell. Mm-hmm. And there's the difference. Um, we see, see, we don't see people with the eternal eyes. We often see people in their temporal state here. And he had a, a good viewpoint from which to see what life and death is mm-hmm. all about. And that is important. Yeah. So when I see those things, it, it's a reality check. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, this is not trying to be preachy to everybody listening right now. But I think every once in a while we need a reality check as mm-hmm. to what's important in life. And they are blessed over in some of these countries that they wake up in the morning, look outside, and that's reality. We yeah. look outside and we see a car, we see good times, we see hobbies, we see all those things. Nothing wrong with any of that. But we every once in a while need to, as Christians, get a reality check. Mm. Well, thank you, Ron. That was quite the story that I don't know about our listeners, but will linger with me. Um, that was a glimpse behind the scenes, and I can't wait to hear the next one. Thanks. Thanks.